I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. I did get a very specific question from a parent about this recently, but actually, you know, in covering this today, I have to flag this isn't just about this one question, but it's a topic that comes up all the time. So the question came in about a parent who was just completely grossed out and appalled at her young child's latest habit, which was picking their nose, examining it, rolling it, eating it, you know it. So many kids do it. And it was one of those things that she she was realizing her really big response response to what he was doing wasn't so much about his behavior, but what was getting you know, brought up in her in it. She was revulsed by it. She thought it was disgusting. So everything about it was like, ooh, that's disgusting. Stop it. And she was curious about how else might I approach this in a way that might actually affect him in stopping it because this wasn't working. And, you know, I just, as I said, I get so many questions from parents about what are really just the quirky, seemingly weird, though often really normal habits that children can develop. No better than a young child to come up with a truly quirky habit. The question that comes in is usually based around how to stop the behavior and break the habits. But I just wanted to take a step back from that piece. I mean, I will get there, I promise you, but I wanted to take a step back and say, well, let's think about habits. Let's think about habit formation. Let's think about the purpose of them, because I think if we can deepen our understanding about habits and the function they serve, we actually do have a better chance of redirecting that energy and focus in another way and thereby breaking said habit. So first of all, Most habits are far from pathological and even the grosser ones are usually transient, will disappear by themselves over time. Some some will definitely need our input in breaking or at least short-circuiting them. But before I talk to you about those ones, let's pause to reflect on these potentially pro-social benefits that I'm talking about to habit formation. Because habits are and moreover, the capacity to build habits is very important. This is something that's really important in our lives. We have to be able to build habits and to create habitual behavior. Think about it in terms of how we all learn. Children, people in general, but particularly children, learn through repetition. Think now, as you're listening, to something that you found challenging yourself when you first started doing it. Perhaps it's, you know, the run that, you know, in the mornings or evenings that now you can't even imagine your daily routine without. It could be the morning or evening mindfulness practice, yoga. Perhaps it's your 15-minute parenting daily playtime that initially you had to really kind of take a breath and go, gosh, just do it. Just get up and do it. It'll be over soon. You'll be glad you did it. And through repeated experience, It's now something you do without any effort, without any of that thought or forcing yourself. And it's something that's so integrated into your life, you can't imagine it otherwise. That's a habit. At first, this may have been challenging, you know, like something you really had to prepare yourself for and motivate or force yourself to do. But it's over that time and consistent practice, i.e. repetition, that now you're doing it without that resistance and you're managing to enjoy it and draw pleasure from it. This is positive habit formation. And it's this type of behavioral pattern or habits that allows them to grow stronger and stronger over time and become a default behavior, a part of us, a part of our daily life. 
So habits are really important and powerful, you know, in lots of ways, but also because they create neurological cravings, let's call them that, neurological cravings in our brain or impulses, whereby a particular type of behavior is triggering a pleasure chemical in the reward center of our brains. They make us feel good. And what feels good is what we will keep doing. That's really important when it comes to habits, because even picking my nose and rolling it, if it feels good, you telling me it's disgusting won't stop me doing it. I am motivated to keep repeating what gives me pleasure and what makes me feel good. Because we know how ingrained habitual behavior can become and also how effective repetition is in habit formation, we should also try to ensure that we develop healthy habits. That goes without saying. But that's way easier said than done because when pleasure is calling the shots, something that may seem socially unacceptable, our little nose picking pal I mentioned at the start, but also brings comfort and pleasure, can be a really tricky habit to break. And I'm using nose picking, but you can relate that to any other habit that you may be experiencing in your house, because we all have some quirky habits that we do mindlessly, you know, something that when we are tired, distracted, maybe even in a state of mind wandering or experiencing a bit of stress or worry, you know, those kinds of states that there might be something that you know yourself, yeah, I have this little thing that I tend to default to, but it's not something I'm consciously aware of. I just do it when, and it's usually in one of those instances. I know, for example, that one of mine is that I sometimes rub my thumbnail with the side of my pointer finger in a circular motion. I'm even doing it now as I'm describing it to you because even thinking about it in this very forced way is making me do it. Usually I'm doing it really mindlessly and it's because it calms and it regulates me. It feels good and you know it's something I've done since my childhood. I don't know why and honestly it doesn't even really occur to me to wonder why if I'm honest. It's just something I do. And I think we all have something like that. So have a little think yourself. What kind of quirky little habit might you have that you don't even give a second thought to? And then when you have that, ask and answer, when are you most likely to engage in those habits? What function do they serve for you? And now, how would it feel if someone just told you to stop and never do that again? Just abruptly stop. How would that feel? And how hard would that be? I think if we can go to somewhere in us that knows that feeling in our children, that is the essence of an empathic connection. And even with these habits, the grossy, icky ones, we have to approach this with acceptance and empathy. Habits are comforting. And most, as I said, will work themselves out developmentally. We become aware that nose picking, eating our mucus, whatever it might be in public is not socially acceptable. And so we stop doing it ourselves. So we do it when we're younger. Then we become aware, oh, people are grossed out when I do this. This isn't really a nice thing to do. And we stop doing it. But some do need some input to short circuit them. The question I started with in this episode was about nose picking, but there are similar habits that I hear a lot about and they could be something like, and these are real examples now that I've heard of, toe sucking, you know, and again, it's an example of just children are just not grossed out by things that we adults are grossed out by. And you've got to admire the dexterity to be able to do that. But yep, 
toe sucking is in there. Um, I get a lot of queries about habits like a child sucking their lips so hard that they can make them sore and raw. And, you know, that's an interesting one because it can be triggered initially by having sore or chapped or cracked lips and then you, you're you moistening them. So it can have that kind of pro-social function that I've been licking my lips to moisten them, but then it becomes a habit. Um, and that's something I'm doing in times of stress or anxiety, you know, maybe sucking my lip hard, chewing my lip, biting on my lip. That also leads on to another one I hear a lot about chewing objects. You know, ch some children really like to do that. And chewing, like the effect of lip sucking, provides an even deeper proprioceptive input to the jaw that is actually very calming and organizing. So these are very common habits that children can default to in times of stress. You know, for yourself even, think of how eating is a very regulating experience and how, you know, we may stress eat, for example, because actually stimulating the mouth can be an impulse under stress and then it can become a habit by repeated experience. Just focus here. If you're trying to work on this one, I want you to focus on nurture. You know, start by soothing the lips with lip balm, focusing on kindness and gentleness with the lips. Play some activities that stimulate the mouth that might be, you know, making sounds and shapes with your mouth. You know, you could do that through a mirroring that you move your mouth into funny contorted shapes. You ask your child to mirror what you're doing. You make a sequence of sounds that mean that your mouth is moving in all kinds of directions as well. Playing pop cheeks. You know, when they fill their cheeks with air and you reach out and you pop them and they do the same for you. Playing turtle tongue. Turtle tongue is when you have your tongue in your mouth and then you give them a cue. You might say, when I say banana, you're going to pop your tongue out. And they just pop their tongue out as quick as they can and then pop it back into their mouth equally quick. And you repeat that. And then you might suggest they pop their tongue out and see, can they touch their nose, their chin, their right ear, their left ear? So they're moving their tongue and again, contorting the mouth around. You could do blowing activities, literally putting a cotton ball on the floor and blowing it between you over and back um, or a feather in your hand and you blow it from your hand to their hand and they blow it back to you. All of these types of playful activities will stimulate the mouth, but also have that effect of releasing a clenched jaw which is really effective for releasing stress that might be held there. And it's a distraction and redirection method. So with any of those types of habits, what I'm basically saying to you, rather than get into this place of giving out or, you know, scolding, that if you can find a playful way to approach it, it's going to be much more effective in ultimately short circuiting the function of the habit. Other children might enjoy sniffing. You know, I get a lot of questions from parents asking, you know, my child sniffs everything, sniffs their food before they eat it, sniffs, you know, inanimate objects, just keeps picking up or smelling or sniffing things. And that's a really interesting one for me because hold in mind that smell can trigger memory and thereby provide reassurance in times of worry or anxiety. So always be aware as to when is this most prevalent? What else might be going on? What function is this habit serving for my child? And then look at making sniffing a game you know, that has a structure to it, a beginning, middle and end. So you might say to them, for example, close your eyes and guess the smell and you have a range of things in front of you. It could be things like herbs, spices, and you've just small amounts and they have to take a smell and guess what it is. Um, you could make sensory Play-Doh with scented oils or fresh herbs or sliced lemons or cocoa powder and make it really smelly and really sensory experience. You could do a hand massage because you get that lovely proprioceptive deep touch input using a scented cream that again is, is making sniffing 
part of the activity. So there are lots of ways that you can play with that that increases nurture, but has a here's what we're doing, and then the activity ends, so it's quite structured. And then you get the common ones, you know, nail biting, thumb sucking, and of course the nose picking. And coming back to where we started with nose picking, Nose picking is probably one of the most common ones and it can start actually generally for very practical reasons such as you know a response to allergies, maybe having a cold or experiencing a stuffed nose experience or a runny nose experience you know where there is that heightened charge around the nose and a constant touching and wiping that's going on. Um, so always start with addressing any physical causes. If you notice your child is suddenly picking their nose don't just decide oh they started a disgusting habit. Instead maybe Maybe get curious, could they have allergies? Could there be something else going on? Is there another way to address this? And then no matter how you feel about it, and please do own your feelings about this, avoid shaming or scolding. And remember, you cannot discipline or consequence a habit away because that's just not the nature of them. Seek rather to minimize it by observing if there might be a pattern to when it is most prevalent. You know, is this happening mostly when your child is really tired, when they are very understimulated, they've been in a very understimulated state for a prolonged period of time. You know, I've spoken before on this podcast about boredom. Boredom isn't a problem, but is this something they're doing when they're in that kind of mind-wandering state? Or is it something they're doing when they're worried? And then respond to these underlying emotional and physical states as a priority rather than to the overt behavior you're seeing. So don't just say, stop picking your nose. If you think they're worried, do something that's going to soothe and calm. If you think they're understimulated, do something that's going to engage them and bring their energy arousal up. Respond to what's going on. Beyond this, the only thing you can really do with these kinds of habits is to use distraction, redirection, and keep those idle wandering hands and fingers otherwise engaged while praising the other behavior. Always focus on what you want to see rather than what you don't. But hold in mind, and I do want to end on this note, if your child can develop a less than savory habit and my goodness, they certainly can. But if they can develop a habit like that, while working on breaking that one, hold in mind that they are clearly able and have the capacity to form and develop habits. And then you can focus on spotlighting new positive habits to invest in instead. And always remember, there are so many pro-social benefits to positive habit formation that this is a life skill. I'm going to help you just positively reframe it. This is not just about nose picking or whatever the habit might be. It's about the fact that they have the capacity to form positive habits too. Let's invest in those. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.